Hello everyone. Hope you're having a lovely Monday as we are here in Valencia. This is the Arbury Road podcast, Mondays with the you and me. My name is Dermot Kavanagh. I'm joined as always by Paco Ruzzante. Paco, how do you do? Hello everyone. Yeah, really good. Really nice and sunny today. So really happy to be here. Yes, they're all smiles here in Valencia. We're also yeah. joined today by Dario Palumbo. Dario, how do you do? Thanks for joining us well, here. Yeah, thanks. I'm fine. I'm also fortunate I cannot be as mine as you are because, of course, here in Venice, I can see the dreadful time here going on. So, unfortunately, you know, climate change is hitting this part of the world as well, you know. So, yeah. more, not more taboo to talk about, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, we have enough sun in Valencia for the three of us anyway. <laughs> Okay, so later on in the show, we're going to discuss a couple of the key stories from the past week. We're going to talk about Erdogan snubbing von der Leyen at their meeting in Turkey. We're going to talk about Putin's new reforms. We're going to touch on the announcement from Germany that the AFD are going to launch a campaign for Germany to leave the EU. But we're going to start the show by speaking about the recovery fund some more. So, okay, Dario, you're our guest today. This is why you're here. Tell us. <laughs> Thank you so much, very much. I mean, you know, like, you know, there's a lot of things to say about the recovery fund as a concept, as a thing. Many things have been discussed and said in the past, you know, a year across the news in every single country. We had all, you know, like, click, you know, kind of conflicts across different, uh, you know, head of states discussing this. I mean, but what is this whole thing and all idea? I mean, very simply, I mean, we had ideas across Europe in many occasions, particularly in 2008 case where, you know, like, you know, the EU has been trying to set up an idea or project to try to help, you know, what has been happening, you know, in the past, the problem with these projects, as we know, particularly the one of 2008 with Greece or whatever, they always been, you know, very, very strict in the way they've been, you know, like giving out, you know, these funds for supporting the, you know, the recovery of potential states up to the point of producing potential the opposite effects as we all know for the effect of happening in Greece and, you know, I mean, the disputable ways to consider it, but clearly these were funds which have been taken out, given out only under strong conditionality and, you know, we under, you know, very strong uh, consequences for the country, you know, like even up to the point of, you know, having an impact directly on the policies. Especially. So, but this time actually we see for the first time something quite different, I have to say. I mean, you know, despite being, you know, uh, there's a lot of like your skeptic out there, which means, oh my God, this is another just failures of you. Actually, it's completely different from this. So what is what has happened is that you know we know that you know we've been discussing about this pandemic. This pandemic has been considered as the largest probably crisis since 1928. So we really you know the the, the amount of like money lost. I mean you know unemployment has been rising you know sharply in all the EU, in all the world. I mean this has actually had an effect on the real economy. What the EU Commission has decided from the perspective is that there was no way to actually try to tackle this with funds which were taken out from, uh, you know, like uh, markets or, you know, like, you know, usually this kind of like movements internal money. So the idea yeah, at some point is that they have to step out directly themselves. So in, in doing this, they actually put up this entire massive project, which, you know, all of that is part of this readjustment of their budget, the multi-annual financial framework, they call it, from 2021 to 27. In particular, including a set of smaller budgets, one of them, which is, is called this massive, you know, uh, next generation EU, which are things we know particularly now, which uses funds directly from the euro budgets and uh, uses directly in funds in uh, individual countries. 
how the, let's actually explain a little bit how this thing works in more in details, right? So usually the commission, I mean, you have a European Union. How the European Union works? European Union have lots of states, which are member states, which share they contribute to the European Union projects as you know, or institution like the European Investment Bank, the European Bank of Reconstruction and Development. All these institutions are funded by the EU. What is this EU? The EU is, is a, you know, as we all know, the US. But basically, they construct a budget all themselves across this country. So every year, they each members of the EU gives effectively some money, which has been taken out from taxation, to construct this budget, which gets refinanced in specific projects through these institutions. What is the important point is that this pool of money usually should not be related to any particular country or specific, like, you know, project per se. So it should be given out to these institutions, which are sovereign national institutions, and they say, okay, now we need to help uh, post-Soviet countries for their reconstruction. So they fund specific projects for that. Of course, usually this money rarely, rarely, unless for specific projects, like, I don't know, human uh, rights projects or like, I don't know, um, archaeological, you know, like uh, heritage type of project, they never get goes back to the country which are given the money out of. Um, because usually the project should be uh, above the national level. In this case, has been happening is that we, what we're having, we're having that the, the European Union says, we don't know, we won't want to actually mention how in a certain sense this project should be funded. So we're going to give it back directly to the countries. So the country wants their money for some reasons and we're giving back to them, plus a top up of some additional funds, which will come from what they will receive from the future budget. So effectively they're lending money. So the only money they potentially don't have, they will receive in the future. That's how it works. What is the advantage compared to, let's say, things, you know, which has been done in Greece with Detroit or whatever, is the fact that ideally, you know, the majority of these funds should not be targeted to particular type of reforms. There's no request for a country to have what is called the memorandum of understanding, which is something which has been going on for the ESM and all these type of funds which has existed up to now, which they bind the country to actually, you know, do a certain series of reform to adjust their uh, fiscal multiplier, you know, like, you know, the debt, uh, you know, GDP ratio. What we're having now is a different thing. Is that the only thing that um, the funds are linked to is to the type of investments. So they only be, you know, they will give out money only if certain investments be carried out. And these investments include very good things like, you know, the great concept of green economy, digitalization, you know, all these type of things which are directly funded for potentially developing the future as a European Union as a system. And this is a great thing. I think this is a really great thing, you know, from this perspective. However, of course, the only small thing is that we have to agree that as probably some Euroskeptics have been pointed out, you know, there is a little bit of conditionality in a sense. Unfortunately, we couldn't manage to get to the point that this fund has been given out completely freely. So let's actually be more specific, right? So the, this massive project is, comes out to almost uh, 1.8 billion or something, which should be something like that. Sorry, 1.8 trillion, sorry, which will be given out across this uh, from 2021 to 2027. The first component is what we call next generation EU. So the next generation EU is, is by there are two things, right? One first thing is this recoveries and resilience facility or fund, which will give out 672 billions to countries, which they need immediately right now. The funds actually will be given out immediately this summer from around July, I think. And this 670 billion are actually divided in two parts. So 300 billions are pretty much grants, which are given out, just as they are. 
360 billion are actually loans, which will have to be repaid, but they'll be repaid up to 10 years period. So it's a very long period of time window. I think the, um, the EU is estimating recovering all the funds by 2057 even. So it's like, you know, like a very, very long window of up to 30 years or something. So this is the idea. Uh, in addition to this, there is additional little funds, which part of this of the actual ordinary uh, financial framework or budgeting of the EU, which will be targeted to security and defense, neighboring migrations, of course, and in all additional to the 670 billion, gives out a 750 billion, which we've all been hearing about. So what's happening is that because we have been, we had this problem that the funds will have to be um, you know requested for particular projects or let's say you know as I said some of them to do with digitalization circular so economy there is a system which the each of the members of the EU have been constructing to try to make sure that the funds will actually be delivered to uh, these specific projects and this has to do a little time structural detail so basically the funds will the, the say the given out of money will have to be voted by the parliament itself. And uh, at the moment we have, a well, before there was the idea of veto, direct one-to-one -one veto, but one, uh, at least, you know, uh, let's say, you know, um, uh, what we actually managed to get is the fact that now we don't have a veto one single country, we actually have the majority. So the majority of the country will actually have to vote against a specific, you know, project in order not to, you know, give the money out. So I think this is a massive, you know, like, uh, you know, Work, you know, what we managed to get, you know, is we managed to get to a point where, you know, like it's completely different from where we existed before, where we had actually, of course, this, you know, trilateral, you know, system and a memorandum of understanding, which will be, you know, constantly checked. And, you know, um, you know, for these reasons, I believe, you know, it's, uh, it's a massive things for any idea of going in the EU. Of course, again, we still have the problem across European countries, which, you know, we're not all in the same line, particularly, you know, consider split between particularly two worlds of Europe, North and South, as we all know, which have, you know, like uh, different interests, which effectively have an impact, will potentially have an impact on these uh, funds, you know. But the reality is that at the end of the day, in this exact point in time, uh, the pandemic has hit in many countries. I mean, clearly there's another small thing you have to keep in mind is the fact that, uh, you know, uh, how the actual money works technically. Technically works that every year because the, each country has to give out the money to the budget, then they will ask for some money for these funds. So this means that their contribution will be net down. So it's expectable to think that Germany, which is a country which has been working relatively well up to now, will probably request less funds than other countries. And potentially, this means that we'll actually, you know, benefit less of this. So we'll actually give out more money that effectively will receive back. And this is uh, one of the reasons why we have a lot of Eurosceptics in Germany, you know, like from the EU party, uh, America, which has been trying to consider that this is actually been a failure of Germany at the European level. But in reality, as we all know, and probably also um, Chancellor of Time, is the fact that, you know, if the other countries in Europe don't manage to recover fast enough, of course, other current, you know, the countries which have not been hit strongly by the actual effect of the pandemics will be hit later. Because, of course, the, the recovery of the countries which will, you know, they buy from uh, Germany, for instance, will not going to be fast enough. And therefore, we'll actually have. Um, you know, a surplus in outflows and in, uh, in inflows, and these actually create this balancing. Uh, so it will actually, you know, create a proper effect of uh, recession.
So yeah, I mean, like, you know, as I said, this is the general outlook as an idea. And I think it's a great thing we've done this so far. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I can intervene on that because I, I do a little bit of the devil's advocate uh, in yeah. the sense of, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, trying to be the euroskeptic in this case. Um, I see a lot of lights and shadow you know, in this uh, recovery. Of course, uh, the fact that for the first time we have uh, uh, basically eurobonds, uh, it's not a, what they're going to be called, but it's basically a mechanism of European debts for the first time is a, a great thing. I, uh, uh, well, the first thing is, do you think, like, are we actually going to have this soon? Like, uh, of course we are seeing the delays even with the vaccines, the European Union doesn't seem to be in control too much. They are promising a lot so far, like the numbers are not good. And uh, this week, the uh, French um, finance and economy minister, uh, Bruno Le Maire, complained about delays on the uh, recovery plan. All the countries are supposed, if I'm not wrong, to send their uh, plan to, on how to use the money by the 30th of April. So the first question is like, do you think this is actually going to happen or are we going to have delays and uh, as usual, a, a lot of bureaucracy? Well, as we all know, Pac, I mean, you know, unfortunately we have to put ourselves in this field as well because the Italian government is actually on the line of having one of these delays, right? So, you know, but the reality of the story is that the European institutions have always had been slow, as we know, rapidly slow. But, you know, ultimately, at a certain extent, they've been delivered, because particularly in the case of necessity. Uh, to be honest, if we see in the history of the European Union so far, there's never been defined in such a short time period, such a high stimulus package, which effectively is a milestone in the perspective of fiscal uniform, in a sense. So the idea of like unifying, as you mentioned, the idea of debt. I mean, I didn't want to put in this term so not to be complicated, but effectively that's what is happening, right? So because we are putting all the money in the pool, we don't know who these monies are, and then funds are being taken out. So what does it actually mean? This money, as we said so far, they should be only, you know, obtained by the actual budgets. But it's also, you know, relatively difficult to believe that, you know, countries, particularly which are biggest contributors like Italy, which is third contributor to the budgets, will actually be able at the same time to contribute to, you know, the actual funds and at the same time, you know, do the actual reforms, you know, with its own money. So the idea that two ways here now, and the only thing to say, right, one thing is exactly as we discussed, the idea of Eurobonds. So it means the Commission will actually put up, you know, bonds, which will actually, so will be sourcing money, borrowing money from the public and somehow. I mean, clearly this cannot happen through the ECB for technical reasons, but this means that the actual commission could potentially do that. We have been discussing this. We haven't really seen this because it means a milestone in the actual idea of fiscal, which clearly some countries like Germany and Netherlands would not really like to see. Why? Because what's happening, as we discussed in one of our articles a long time ago, is that in the moment you issue a euro bond, what's happening is that this will actually potentially have a yield, or it's called, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, the actual return of the value of this interest, which, you know, the value of this loan, which is given up, right? So you as a, you know, consumer, you want to buy this bond compared to the PTP in Italy because will actually give you a higher returns or a lower return. I mean, this be this return, right? This returns effectively will be potentially assume an average of the one we have in Europe. But what does this mean is that, you know, from the perspective of countries, this is, means that the cost, this is the cost for the country to get the money from you. Because it's the interest that the country has to pay you back. It's effectively a loan, right? So that, what are you doing as a customer buying the European Commission bond? You're borrowing, you know, giving money 
put uh, sorry, you're lending money to the European Commission, and then you want an interest back, which would be the small thing. So the interest is the cost for the Commission or for the country to survive the government bond for getting this money from you. What's happening is that countries like uh, the Netherlands have extremely low interest rates up to close to zero. Germany is negative. So for this reason, effectively, if you want to invest in a German bond, you're giving them money. So you're not only borrowing, lending them money, you're also paying them for lending them money. So it's actually, you know, weird that, you know, like when this thing is going to come up, you know, the European Commission will actually have to pay returns. What this will mean is that, you know, the, this interest rate will effectively adjust at some point, and potentially for these countries will actually be really, actually worse in a sense, right? Because they will refinance their debt at higher cost than we have now. So this is the reason why, effectively, no one has been openly discussing the idea of eurobonds, but effectively there will be something like this, right? Let, let me also mention another small thing that will be discussed later in more details. Is another thing though. There are two ways to fund the budget. Right? One thing is to ask money out from the public, so get issuing bonds. The other one is effective taxation. Right? So as we discussed, you've seen you know, the great big bet which Biden has been put up just uh, two, two weeks ago, right? A uh, package of infrastructure stimulus, which is about 2.7 trillion of dollars, you know, across you know the potential five years. Well, how they've been planning to actually, you know, refinance this? They've been trying to refinancing, you know, through the idea of increasing taxation. One of the main points is to undo the uh, tax cuts, which Trump's uh, administration has actually taken. So. And it's an important point. And also, last week there was this meeting by the IMF discussing the global um, outlook, which was a panel meeting which included also Powell from the Fed. Uh, they've been saying and mentioning, you know, this is a you know a very brave choice from the U.S. government to actually mention, you know, a fiscal reform so important. Because imagine a stimulus package to 2.7 trillion. You know, I mean, I don't expect it to be fully funded by taxation, but of course, clearly, this is a major point. It's a very brave point, but this is true because at the end of the day, you cannot only, you know, ask money to the public, you cannot only try to print money, you need actually you know, something stable to come in, right? And this has not been mentioned by any European countries yet. And the European actually commission, of course, they cannot legislate on the idea of fiscal, you know, like um, actions and policies in the individual countries, but this is also an important point. Which has to be considered as an extent. Well, particularly, I don't know, in countries like Italy and France, it's at the moment it's a taboo to discuss about tax. But it is an important point. Tax are an important component. And if they are addressed at the right point in the society, consider the high level of this equality we have nowadays in our societies, it's an important point. Of course, we don't want to discuss the idea of taxation in a period of recession, which of course would potentially, you know. Uh, remove the effects of the stimulus in a sense, but again, it depends on where it is targeted, right? So, I mean, clearly we have, I mean, you know, like uh, greatest, you know, multinational companies with this out there. I mean, no one has been talking about the tax. I mean, we want to open this massive article right now, but it really, you know, this, you know, massive companies are the ones which benefit the most during the crisis. And you know, the economic pandemics, you know, all the, you know, Amazons and these people, I mean, they seem their, you know, like uh, incomes plenty. So this is the idea, you know, like, uh, these are some of the important components which have left eventually to be discussed. Yeah. On that note as well, I think it's worth mentioning, Biden's bill is so comprehensive, his proposals are so comprehensive, that Jeff Bezos and Amazon now are in favor of the income tax, because they know the money is set to go on infrastructure, who needs roads, who needs bridges, who needs post offices, Amazon, you know? Yeah. 
no, they're, cleaning. they're thinking on another level when it comes to tax in the United States than in Europe, it seems. Yeah, yeah because, okay, they, let's, let's be facing, I mean, there was a, a very famous Italian economist, Padova Schiopo, which one day actually mentioned and said that, you know, like, uh, tax are the ma- a wonderful thing. It is true, because tax as a concept are great, because when you have a taxation, the government gets money from people, from the public, but then reinvests into something, right? So effectively, and also idea of tax, I mean, you know, going to basic economics is one of the basic concepts of way to actually reallocate funds. Effectively. So how do you actually have a perfect decent equality, you know, when you actually manage to reallocate money from top parts of the society to lower parts? Of course, this, in reality, we know it doesn't really work. You know, there's a coordination problem, whatever, but the concept is important. And this is also important in after every single crisis or how strong the crisis is, is essential that there is a moment of infrastructure expenditure, right? Because you want to re, you know, launch the entire economy. And this cannot be done without considering also from you know, the taxes on top, right? I mean, you don't want, of course, to increase taxation right now again on the moment of the stimulus, because of course you will stop the stimulus. But this is something that if you think about 10-year budgets as actually, you know, well, five years budget for the year, I mean, the 10 years or 30 years for getting money back from all these loans, this is an important point which have to be discussed sometimes. So it is essential. And again, you know, um, all these multinational, the reality is that, you know, at some point, uh, everyone knows that these are the, the, the companies which have been benefiting the most, they've been benefiting the loan for many, many years, or do the tax benefit, the fact that they don't have a physical limitations, you know, and this is something which will have to be addressed eventually. We are not talking about going to the small, to the public, to the small, I don't know, craftsmanship uh, around here and say, you have to have your tax increase. We're not talking about you, we're talking about an higher, a different level. And this is actually the level which at the moment is creating the highest level of inequality. Because at the moment, we don't have a way to target that. To be honest, the US is very brave in mentioning this, but again, as we discussed, places like Amazon, they don't really have a location, right? I mean, they really they exist. I mean, you know, some of them are based in Ireland, but at the end of the day, it's only so certain infrastructure. So at the end of the day, I don't know how, maybe, of course, you know, you can always, you know, find a way to taxate the actual physical good, but the idea of the tech tax, you know, the internet tax or something, something goes beyond the physical goods, right? And this is only something that a coalition of countries can actually do, like potentially the EU. Because, you know, when you have these things, I mean, you know, I know that Ireland is a great place, we benefit a lot from the fact of there being a tax haven so far for tech companies. But again, you know, the fact that the, these tax can actually be reallocated and distributed across Europe through a, a program like the one we've seen in the recovery plan is a great thing. And this is probably why we should start looking for the ma- where the money should be, right? Also, there's another thing to keep in mind, and also it was one of the reasons why I don't want to push too much in the concept of bonds. Your bonds are great, but bonds in general are at the moment a potential problem. And the problem is that you know at some point, because of the more at the moment all the issuance of government bonds are supported by central banks, central bank buys like the UK central banks, everyone. So the interest rates are, are relatively low and price are very high artificial. What is going to happen at some point in recent times is that this thing is not going to be always in this, you know, let's say very subsidized world. So the price at some point will actually go, go down and the interest rate is going to go up. So this actually be potential inflation, which is a fear that many people have, probably not as much as should be. But what does it mean if you buy today your bond, a 10-year bond, a 20-year bond, in 10 years time, effectively the price of your bond is going to go down eventually. So you as a consumer, effectively, as a, as a public, 
you should be concerning yourself about this thing. So we, as a, a country, which I want to fund my, you know, uh, again, my infrastructure, I should not rely on the potential money I get from you because eventually you will have a worse deal somehow. Of course, you're doing it, you're gonna get your returns, but potentially there is this risk. And you know, I, I should not put always potentially put this responsibility onto the public, right? If I do, well, you should do it at least a certain level of the public, which are probably the one I can reach through a tax, right? Which of course will be a higher income tax, that's the thing. So, yeah. Okay, I think I think we're gonna to have to leave it there on the recovery fund. Um, <laughs> we are definitely gonna do a whole other episode about the tax, though, with you, Dario. That's really um, <laughs> it's fascinating stuff, and it's nice to have it explained better. Basically, I know these are some topics that people can find confusing that they hear a lot about, but maybe aren't explained so well. So, cheers for that. Um, all right, the next thing we should mention is that. This morning, I think it was, the, the AFD, so the, the far-right party in Germany, have announced that they are going to run, as part of their campaign for the September elections, a campaign for Germany to leave the EU. Um, question is really simple, guys. Can we imagine the EU without Germany? Is there any chance it would work? Well, first of all, is there any chance Germany would leave the EU? I certainly don't think so. Paco? Anything to say? Uh, no, <laughs> it's a really complex. No, no, yeah, of course. Uh, it's a really, uh, it's a really simple question. Of course, there is no EU without Germany. Uh, not only because it's one of the six uh, founding members, but because the same concept, now historically, of uh, European Union and before of uh, European Economic Community developed, starting from the European Steel Community around the idea of really binding together the French and the German economy. So the idea of creating a Europe around the central and then Italy and the, the Benelux countries as well, of course, but of course, you know, we had Germany and France before the European Union, basically fighting each other throughout two world wars and even before uh, going back to the Prussian war. So yeah, the, definitely there couldn't be a, a European Union without Germany. There could, I think the current system would, of course, crash immediately. You could have something different, perhaps. Um, I mean, I'm sure that the countries in the north would immediately form their own thing, surely. Uh, and we will have a, a union of the Mediterranean countries, probably something like that <laughs> here. But yeah, mm, so the, the answer is, in, a, in any case, in general, like the current European Union would be finished, of course. Um, the, the probability, of course, I find it really unlikely because for one thing that Germany is probably the country which benefited the most from the European Union in the past 20 to 30 years. So uh, actually is probably the country which has more interest in remaining in the European Union, uh, I believe. But of course, then the, the, I would say that the second country was where the UK and uh, really few people would have imagined the UK leaving uh, the EU a few years ago. So with this thing, it's always better to uh, be um, From a mindset point of view, you could see the Brits wanting to leave the EU, I think, more so than the Germans. You know? but, but I completely agree with, with what you're saying. No one... See what Dario thinks, we were there when there was Brexit, so... Uh... <laughs> I woke up on one morning, will not believe actually, because you know, I, 
I even looked at the betting agencies the day before, and actually, they, they even got it wrong. Usually, they get it right. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, but to be honest, I mean, in the case of Germany, we have a different story because, of course, you know, typically, you know, this party, since you're skeptics, party, you know, of course, promote anything they want. I mean, clearly, we have three points here. One of them, of course, probably took more, not me, a more technical person, but clearly, the actually, you know, attitude of the Germans towards politics is much more different than the Brits. So, and uh, even in sense of activism, in, in actually in involvement in actual politics, even in particular in actually the commitments to what they do. So, uh, we have actually reversal case in the case of the UK, because of course, what happened with Farage, and of course, you know, all this mass here, which people with, which never voted, in fact, just appeared. With nowhere without understanding what they were voting for. So it was a clear misled voting. But let's think about actual numbers and things. So you, the German, Germany is the biggest contributor to the uh, EU budget. This is true. But at the same time, the contribution which has been given in the foreign export through the existence of very common currencies is actually been, you know, in many, many studies and understanding of how much they've been benefited across the years. It clearly doesn't make any sense from their perspective to leave. But most importantly, things we haven't discussed is that what would be Germany without the EU, but not in the EU, in the world? So in a world where we have in your multi, you know, these massive countries like China, India, uh, the Brits and was at the time, uh, US growing up, and these are actually become, we know that in three, no, in five years, China will actually overcome the, the GDP in the US. So we have the massive, you know, like producer plus also, you know, the whole system of production, whole system of services change now because, you know, we have, you know, we when we want to source worker for like, you know, one third of the activities we do, it happens online, particularly now, now we are under pandemics, we've seen this. We don't necessarily rely on our own, you know, yard. We don't look at our people and look at our worker. We actually look at social worker from everywhere in the world. So what is the perspective in a, 20 years time of a Germany which wants to be on, on its own, alone against this massive, you know, countries and multinational exist out there. What is the trade power that Germany could have? So UK has always been very rare because again, UK effectively, you know, it, it has a very strong influence, of course, through always had its its currency and always these uh, well, effective exports of services in a sense, particularly financial one. And it's been a brave choice to try to, you know, leave. We don't know the outcomes of that, the outcome of Brexit yet. You know, now everything has been dragged by the existence of the COVID pandemics, but we'll see. I mean, uh, uh, the Prime Minister there is very optimistic, as we've seen all along, and he wanted to go on with the Prime you know, all, all the way through this year. But we'll see, right? So there's the other thing. I mean, the, the, the guy has been very optimistic in many things, particularly this vaccination thing that's been going on, right? Which also, by the way, is an important point for the recovery. It's important that the, all these things we'll be discussing, funds, you know, recovery, whatever, will actually go forward in the way we, we go if we actually have a proper recovery. Because again, if things get worse, you know, things, you know, potentially we don't have enough money as a buffer to solve it, right? So it's important vaccination will actually be carried out in the way it should be. But in the UK, they've done this kind of like a, a massive, you know, like bet of trying to vaccinate. In the norm. Now we, we have, what, 15 million people which have been vaccinated so far or something like that. So, sorry, 40 million people. So by only one dose, right? So we don't know what's going to be effect of that, right? So hopefully, again, you know, uh, you know, these things will work for them. I really wish it. But again, what we know about this government is that, you know, in the UK, surely this has been, will be remembered as a government which has been the uh, most uh, risky one. 
So uh, across all the one we've seen so far in the choices, including the Brexit case. So back to the Germany point of integration, I really strongly believe that you know there will be a more if I can add to that, also another big difference, of course, is the uh, parliamentary system and the political system, like in the sense of electoral even system. Germany, of course, like, you know, in the UK, you have this system, which I find crazy of the first past the post. Uh, yeah. It used to work perhaps once, but now it's really not representative. And you could see it in the case of the UKIP, for example, they had a big consent, uh, consensus in the country, but really few seats. And that sort of increase the anger i find of the of part of the british uh, population in germany it's not like this no like in germany we have a, a, a more mainly proportion system we have a gross coalition we had a gross coalition for the past uh, basically 10 years so like it's really i see really unlikely that they have the have numbers to uh, actually try to seriously propose like they should basically become the first party and even then wouldn't be guarantee of um, actually being able to push such a living the youth yeah i don't i i don't see it don't see it developing but you never know we'll have to keep an eye on it um all right our next story is about another german um this time it's von der leyen the commission president she had a bad week. She had a bad event in Turkey. Uh, for those of you who didn't see what happened in Turkey, um, von der Leyen and Charles Michel went to speak. Well, at least officially, they were there to speak about women's rights and human rights in general. When they arrived into the, the room to do the press conference of the, the handshake or whatever, Erdogan has put two seats for the two men. It's complete disrespect for women. Charles Michel didn't help himself. He just stood there looking like an idiot, made himself look almost as bad as Erdogan. It's more than disrespecting women, which it definitely is. It's Erdogan, much like Putin, it seems, acting with impunity because mm -hmm. these guys, these old school, let's call them strong men leaders, they don't value the EU's power. Erdogan knows we need Turkey to keep housing refugees before they come into Europe. We know Turkey takes more refugees than Europe anyway. So the question I have for the two of you, I'm going to direct this one at you, Paco. Do you think people like Erdogan and Putin value the EU and soft power at all? Do they care? Or do you think the EU leaders in particular are naive to think that people like Putin and Erdogan care about human rights, women's rights, this kind of stuff. So uh, well, I'll start by calling them uh, more than old style leader uh, for what they are, that in my opinion is dictators, as <laughs> the Italian Prime Minister Draghi uh, said this week, uh, the, the comment was not that good because he told, uh, so uh, the, actually the position of Draghi is quite interesting, I think, to talk about uh, uh, your question. He said that uh, Erdogan was a dictator but the dictator we need. We need because like we need to protect uh, economic interests, which was a really bad choice in communication, I think, because he managed <laughs> at the same time you know, to piss off the uh, Turkish, <laughs> old Turkey and the Turkish um, ambassador who, who left the country, and also to annoy those who are in favor of human rights, because of course, like, you know, I think this is, has always been one of the weakness of the European Union, no? the lack of a political mandate, a strong political mandate, which is essential when you want to protect and defend human rights. 
And in the end, the European Union needs to be this. It cannot be only an economic union. We are here, first of all, to protect uh, human rights and, the and uh, uh, a vision, a clear vision of society and of, uh, and, and of uh, the world as well. Now, Putin and Erdogan, the, the answer is like, honestly, like uh, the European Union, if it's united, if it's political uh, as a cohesion, is not the case, I think, that is, has been attacked by many parts in the past, you know, 20, 30 years. It's probably the strongest actor together with the US in international scale. Uh, I, overall, could be the first economy, basically, now with that the UK left, um, of course, you can't do that. You can't just add one economy to the other. But if united, the economic and political power is you no know, incredible. So I think you know as much as they want to pretend and they uh, act like they disrespect the EU. I think they they kind of see that in the future the EU could play a role where they could like would basically be impossible for them to um, oppose. Uh, the European Union to not to take into account at least these also in terms of uh, human rights. How about though, I mean, so if, in case people were unaware as well, Putin just passed a load of new laws that were voted on last summer, where he can now he can do two more six year terms, he can stay in power till 2036. He's also got immunity from investigation and prosecution for all former presidents. <laughs> so, I mean, do you think I mean, I don't know if I'm the EU right now, if I'm the EU leaders, I'm really worried. You're looking at Putin until 2036. His influence is still really strong in Eastern Europe, crawling into Central Europe. He's been able to get even more leverage now because of the whole vaccine mess. You've got Erdogan in Turkey, who, as far as I can see, he doesn't value soft the soft power, the political power of the EU. He believes in real tangible strength on the ground and in the air and in the sea, which he has, that the EU doesn't have to such an extent. Dario, I'm interested, interested to get your opinions on this. How, if you're the EU leaders right now, how are you feeling about the proximity to both Erdogan and Putin for the foreseeable future? Well, Damage, the, the idea is, well, simple, you know, but, you know, dreadful. I mean, the reality is that, I mean, we all, you know, are traded by what we've seen, right? We all are traded by, we, we keep being outraged every day by what we see happening in Turkey and happening in Russia. Reality is that, uh, is there really this political power we can actually do something about it? So let's actually say it in the perspective. The reality of the problem is that majority of the country in, uh, in EU, particularly southern countries like ours, are not, you know, energy independent by this country. And one is the biggest problem is exactly this, right? So one solved the problem, besides, of course, the fact we have now, of, uh, you know, the migrants, and of course, we need, you know, this is the idea that we need effectively, you know, like everyone to keep at bay the migrants and everything. But the idea is, I think, it's a long-term process of why we need Russia, why we need, you know, this, you know, Turkey, we need particularly for energy reasons. So the, if, ideally, we would be energy independent from this country, particularly Russia, no, this potentially, you know, will increase our bargaining power. And so, of course, we're not going to be as much dependent. We're not going to need, you know, as much then as would be the case. And 
back to the point, I mean, of course, it's a bit idealistic, but ideally, if effectively you apply like this one, which talks about renewable energies, trying to focus on a different source of energy power, which we'll actually use instead of the one we already have, like the gas and oil, for instance, will actually give us the opportunity of potentially getting to a point where we are actually energy independent and potentially we have a different ways in our negotiations with them. That's very important. Of course, you know, I don't even think about, you know, there's lobbies which, of course, don't want this to be happening. But the reality, I mean, this, this push forward, which has been done in, the, you know, the European Commission with this, you know, this reader reform we've seen, is, one of, is a mindset towards this as well. I mean, the reality is that we have to be realistic. Today, you know, like, you know, we can be outrageous we want, but effectively, there is a burning in power which we have to take into account, which is dreadful to hear, but it's true. So how to overcome it? Well, we have to think about the world where we don't need it. I couldn't have put it any better myself. Um, all right, I think we're going to leave it there for the night. Uh, Dario, thanks a million for joining us. It was an absolute pleasure. And if you think you're finished, think again, because you are coming back to talk about tax very, very soon. Yeah, we will will some point, definitely. No worries. <laughs> all right, perfect. Paco, thanks as always. Thank you. Uh, always a pleasure. We will be back on Friday with the next edition of the podcast. Have a nice evening.